This is Joe Cole. This is Ruben Loftus-Cheek, and you're listening to the London, the London is Blue, Blue podcast. podcast. All right, Chelsea fans, welcome back to another episode of the London is Blue podcast. As always, your host, Brandon, joined by my co-host, Nick and Dan. Gentlemen, look, I'm, I just apologize right away. You are in town, in Minneapolis. We have been working a lot on what we want to do in in this upcoming season. It's clearly catching up with us. The lack of sleep and the the amount of brain power that we've used, Nick, we're down to the final bits left. <laughs> and we saved it for you all, our audience. <laughs> Look, it, all, all the work that we put in will pay off. It's just you're getting a uh, highly caffeinated, low-energy crew at the end of a long weekend after – I decided that the drink I was going to have right before bed was a Red Bull vodka last night, which is poor. It was poor strategy. And, uh, and look, we, we just wanted to ensure that, like, when we're together, that we're able to record together. And logistics be damned, we're doing it. And we have one of our favorite guests on. That's right. So not to gloss over Dan, we go right to Phil at Chelsea Youth. Phil, we are excited to have you on for this one. I mean... The youth is a hot, hot topic right now. Is the transfer window has opened? The Euros has now concluded, and Chelsea are training at Cobham with Tuchel. Yep, it's, um, it's a hot topic. Plenty of hot takes, but hopefully we can uh, go into a little bit more detail than the usual um, discourse around the subject and and really talk about what's been uh, I wouldn't say a controversial week, but certainly a, a very interesting one um, surrounding the academy. All right, well, not only that, Phil, we're specifically going to be talking about the recent and potentially alarming pattern of youth players in the academy refusing to renew and how Chelsea might address this problem. And then, obviously, the specific moves of players like Mark Gurkey going to Crystal Palace, uh, photos leaking today, Sunday, of him holding the kit, as well as extensions for Armando Broja and loans for Billy Gilmore and more. So, uh, long story short, Dan, a lot of moves are happening right now. There's a lot to break down because this is the time when Tuchel has to figure out where he wants to invest in his squad and where he wants to use the resources that already exist in the club. That is the case. And before we get to that, we've got a couple of quick bits of housekeeping and admin. We just want to say thanks to everybody who joined us on Patreon this month. We want to thank Brian and Michael for signing up and the subs. Huge conversations in our Discord about the transfer window. Oh, yes. People are loving it. And it's a much nicer place than Twitter at points. So great reason to join there. We're also maybe going to do some fun Ted Lasso stuff, potentially, <gasps> specific for what? our Patreon community. So that will be great. And then we want to thank people who left a five-star review in Apple Podcasts. We want to thank Kennedy I 57 and Craig Jenk. 35, both leaving five-star reviews on Apple Podcasts that helps people find the pod. So thank you very much. And then housekeeping. A lot of you filled out listener survey, and that helps us improve the show. So thank you for doing that. This whole weekend we spent in Minneapolis uh, was not just drinking and eating good food, but it was also focusing on what we do next season. So, And all of that comes from uh, influence that our listeners have on helping yep. us make the show better. And we just want to say, hey, we're still shipping the wonderful and still the only team in London with the European Cup shirts, which yeah, I'm has wearing it on. these today. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, order those. All right, so... Obviously, all of the wonderful people that make this community want to hear about the youth exodus. So, Phil, taking your tweets, putting them in the script, it says Chelsea have never won the Champions League without an academy graduate in the starting 11 or without an academy graduate on the, ca on the coaching staff. 
What does that stat even mean? It probably means nothing. It was a little bit facetious, but it was also just trying <laughs> to point out that we're, at least I'm routinely told that you can't be a serious club and compete for major honours and give your academy graduates a fair opportunity in the first team. And okay, so we look back at 2012 and Ryan Bertrand is your academy graduate because John Terry wasn't available for the final and Eddie Newsom was on the bench as the coaching staff because him and Roberto Di Matteo came in to bail out the season after Villas Burst was sacked. And you fast forward to 21, similar circumstances, a lot of more academy graduates in the first team and it's Joe Edwards who's remaining on the first team coaching staff along with a few others in the medical department and so on and so forth. But throughout the, the time between 2012 and 2021, there was a growing concern that not enough academy players were getting opportunities despite five FA Youth Cup wins in a row, despite two UEFA Youth League titles, despite countless trophies coming into the academy. But they didn't win a Champions League in that run. There was You had Eden Hazard at the peak of his powers, an outstanding individual player who maybe rightly or wrongly didn't get the support to help propel Chelsea to a Champions League title. There were, there were years where they didn't qualify for the Champions League in that run. So it was just a bit of a throwaway comment to sort of throw say that maybe it isn't a guarantee of success, but let's look at the way that Chelsea have won it in the past and let's not write off our own homegrown talent because they've been there and they've proven that they can win the very biggest trophies that football has to offer. It's obviously a sample of two, Nick. <laughs> Uh, won the Champions League twice, but there. I think the existential crisis right now is what does the role of the academy plays as a big part of what Frank, one of the positives he brought was making sure that road is open. We've now won the Champions League again. Like where where do we go from bringing these players in? Obviously, the coaching staff. You know, having that that core culture run all the way from. Cobham youth side to the first team is important to a team's identity. Yeah, I mean, I think this is undeniable, right? You you look at you look at what Phil's saying. You look at the fact that our academy fueled this Champions League win. Um, maybe unlike 2012, the, the the academy were major components of the success uh, that we had last year. And you look at how much talent is yet to come through the academy, which we've talked to Phil about before. I mean, that Mason Mount's not going to be the most talented player ever to come through Chelsea's academy. That's someone to be determined, right? Um, that's the exciting part of this whole exercise. So I look at all that, and, and it, it makes me hope that the club, that Tuchel, that the pathway to the first team is still open, despite maybe where uh, current trends are, are heading. Because... It's very, very clear financially, uh, connection to the club, all these other like factors that are outside playing on the field, that having a strong academy pathway to the first team is a way for Chelsea to have a competitive advantage heading into 2022, three, four, five, and on. Dan, you want to get involved in that conversation too? I mean, there's the... I guess well, you can kind of lay into Phil on this one or you know, bring it to him. Is, is it one, two a year? Is it rounding out the squad? We've talked a lot about with Joe. It's like, hey, you can save 30, 40 mil million on buying a depth player like a Zappacosta and promote someone like a Tino Livermento. I guess how do you view the Academy's role in, in, in these things and you know, probably not necessarily just the Champions League, but in moving forward under Tuchel? Well, I guess 
the thing is, maybe my view of what the Chelsea Academy should or shouldn't do really doesn't matter because the board is going to have an opinion on what success is, right? And so what their determination for success is, is, is it we promote one or two players a season? It's Is it that we have the third choice positions filled by squad players so that we're not spending extra on wages? Is it that we can sell three or four to Premier League championship, you know, Serie A, Bundesliga teams to help fund big purchases? And, you know, I think there's some semblance of truth in all of that. You know, I think that the club would want us to be successful in our men's domestic campaign. They would want to have an academy that is producing uh, great, talented individuals, great young men in terms of just who they are on and off the pitch. And that if they can't find a career with Chelsea, that they are able to contribute at a high level in football if they so choose so and have the talent to do so. And so I, I think, Phil, maybe that's the challenge is that, you know, we're we're pulling and rooting for a lot of these players to do well, but not everyone will have the same success criteria and the clubs is going to vary from maybe what yours is or mine is. And like, we have to maybe just accept some of that is unchangeable in terms or in terms of convincing the club to do it differently. But you would hope that there could be influential, influential individuals like Frank was maybe Tuchel could be eventually in terms of actually bringing up more of these individuals so that they could save the club money, grow them into being great footballers and keeping them at Chelsea versus having to see as many as we might go someplace else to apply their trade. Yeah, for sure. I mean, I'm under no illusions that my preferences are um, unrealistic, but that isn't to say that I'm here to expect a starting 11 or an 18 or 20 match day squad full of academy graduates. That's not a realistic proposition. It's never been something that I've angled for, and it's never been something that anyone out there has really angled for either. Um, we say that two Champions League titles in a decade is a small sample, but we can also reflect that Roberto Di Matteo has won the Champions League more recently than Pep Guardiola. And that is to say that it's not an easy thing to win. So if you've managed to win it in 2021 with Mason Martin, Reese James and Andreas Christensen playing key roles in the final and other academy graduates playing key roles on the way to it, it's an extremely hard thing to do. It's, it's even harder to do in a pandemic. And okay, circumstances being what they are, you, you, you give them their opportunities during a transfer ban. And because you've not had the ability to spend for a window or two, then you do have money the other side of it, to go and buy a Kai Havertz, to buy a Timo Werner, to buy a Ben Chilwell. But by virtue of giving those opportunities to your homegrown talent, you don't have to buy players in their positions as well. You've already filled a certain number of squad spots with talented, capable players that then allow you to focus on buying top quality in positions of need. And this is where the problem with someone like Mark Gerhi being sold prematurely if you want to sell him, you can sell him. But if you're selling him for 15 to 20 million and you're selling Picard Tomori for a little bit more than that, and Ben White's going to Arsenal for 50 million, it doesn't sound like the best use of the transfer market from Chelsea's point of view to sell them both prematurely. Now, this is, whatever happened with Tomori is a discussion for another day, but just purely taking the fact that he's a Premier League and international Champions League defender who has then gone to Milan and excelled in Syria. Agreeing to a relatively cheap buyout clause doesn't make sense. Agreeing to sell Gerhi at this point, rather than having, even if you say to him, we want to send you on loan, and he says no, you've got four senior centre-halves entering the last year of their contract. 
it's incumbent on the management of the club to be able to plan forward and to try and in, involve Gerhi in that. So that even if he does want to leave in a year or two, you're not selling him for what is going to look like a bargain price. And the decisions at this point don't make sense because they've lurched so far away from what happened when Lampard was brought in. And we know that that's lightning in a bottle that summer because there was a transfer ban and Adam Hazard had left. And the number of managers who would have come to Chelsea, maybe you can count them on one hand in terms of whether they were serious, capable managers to handle managing in the Premier League. But it, Chelsea oscillate between wanting to win the Champions League and wanting to give blood to the, to the academy and back and forth and back and forth. And they have for the whole decade. So when we're talking about what constitutes success for the club, we don't know because they often don't know, apart from we want to win now and we want to win something. But we've, we've seen them finish 10th. We've seen them finish first. We've seen them win the Champions League. We've seen them miss the Champions League two years out of four between... Um, the end, Lampard, when, when Lampard took over in 2019, you go back four seasons. They they finished outside of the, the top four in two of the previous four years. It's it's a wild ride for the club, and it's it's hard for any one of us to know what success looks like because the club often doesn't seem to know what success looks like. Obviously, it's about winning trophies at Chelsea, so I think that that's always the aim. How they go about it, right? To your point, Phil, is they've tried a lot of different ways. Right, we brought in a lot of different managers, uh, brought in a lot of different players and types of players. And do we want to play tiki taka? Do we want to be smash and grab? It, it's the identity of Chelsea is almost change, <laughs> constant change. That's what you can expect out of them. So yeah, for sure, and that's been the case way back, even before Roman Abramovich. There's not been a Chelsea manager to last four full seasons in the job since the mid-1980s. And it's it's hard to deny that it hasn't worked for them in terms of delivering silverware since 1997. But at the same time, football's changed a lot in those 25 years. Stability isn't a thing anywhere in football anymore. But the more you go down that path, the more you risk your identity becoming diluted to the point where uh, I, I made a throwaway comment that it's it's akin to supporting Paris Saint-Germain because uh, supporting Paris Saint-Germain is, to me, a relatively soulless venture. And I say that with no disrespect to Parisians or, or, or fans who've grown up supporting them through their family because they are as much of a brand as they are a football club these days. And for all of the money thrown into the club through... Uh, for all intents and purposes, sports washing, they're yet to win a Champions League title either. And they, they, okay, you can dominate as much as you like in France, but even last season, they didn't win Ligue 1. And to me, speaking personally, and it's my own preferences, but the further you move away from uh, trying to define yourself by anything other than success, the closer you end up to being a club like Paris Saint-Germain. I mean, I guess, Phil, what you're saying is, there's a clear opportunity here for Chelsea Football Club through the academy and just the way the club is structured in general, right, to have a consistent approach to football regardless of the approach of the manager or the first-team manager, I should say, or the uh, first-team players that are brought in or whatever. Like, you're, you're saying, at least if I'm hearing you correctly, 
that it's far better to have a platform for you know someone to come into than to just kind of go off on a whim based on who's available at the time. Yeah, for sure. And it might be a pipe dream, but you look at somebody like Manchester United, they've gone 82 years without having a match that didn't have an academy graduate in their match day squad. That is their identity. It's for for nearly a century, it's, it's outlasted Jose Mourinho, it's outlasted all number of managers. And that's an identity. It's it's hard for any other club to, to imitate. Like Everton have gone well in excess of a thousand senior matches doing the same thing. And you can argue that Everton haven't had the same success as Chelsea, but that's not necessarily the point. It's clearly and fundamentally uh, something that these clubs will tell every new manager that comes in, this, this is who we are as a football club. It underpins everything that they do from academy level to senior level. And it ensures that a culture pervades regardless of the supporters, regardless of the fans, regardless of the director of football or whoever else comes in. That is who they are. And that isn't the case at Chelsea. We're 120 odd matches into a run with academy graduates starting a match. It's a little bit longer for academy graduates being in a match day squad. Um, it's small fry compared to those clubs. If that can last for a generation to come, then we're on to something. But when you enter summers like this, where several key academy players with bright futures are, are leaving or are questioning whether they want to stay at the club, it makes that all the harder, all the much harder. And when when we talk about the last decade at Chelsea, which has been fraught with ups and downs and as many bad seasons as good ones, and as many managers as academy graduates, <laughs> it, it's hard to see how you can sustain that. So, Dan, Phil opened the door, so we're going to walk through it. There's a handful of players that sounds like aren't signing contracts and maybe playing with some of the academy teams, the younger teams right now. Run us through maybe just a list of names, and then I think we'll definitely start with Gurhi for obvious reasons. Well, we've seen the reporting regarding, in particular, uh, Kurt Harris, Bate, Lievermento as being the three training with the U16s. Uh, Simu linked to a transfer out. And then uh, Gurhi is the one who we've seen the photos now linking around. And then the Athletic broke the story last week about him going to Crystal Palace on a 15 to potentially 20 million pound move. And I guess it's interesting as the way that the club is trying to convince players to sign and they have a path but now you're going to train with the u16s seems like a little bit of a like i i i guess that's an odd negotiation tactic in my regard in, in my thought like you would want to try to show them the value bring them into the you know family a little bit more make them feel appreciated and loved obviously i'm sure someone like Livermento didn't love the hakimi links but or maybe doesn't love the fact that she, you know, that Reese James is very settled in the squad and that's going to make his life more challenging. But someone like Gurhi definitely would have a path kind of the way that we look at the center back kind of, you know, tenure and lack of extended contracts beyond the end of this season. I mean, I think maybe Phil in that regard, how, how do you think about the handling of these scenarios too and the way that maybe the club could do things differently like what are maybe one or two structural changes they can make you know in terms of setting us up and these players up to not 
hit this roadblock as often where they're in the last year, they don't want to go out on loan again, and the club doesn't want to potentially lose value, so they're looking to kind of move and sell. Is there any way that we could be doing this differently? Um, I'd start by agreeing that I don't think it serves anyone any benefit to relegate them to train with a younger age group. It happened in the academy. We've got, we've got about years. It happened with Dominic Solanke. It happened with Fabio Barini. It's happened with the first team. It's happened with Alex and Florent Maluda, who were told to train with the reserves. It, it, we go back a long time. And it's it's a hardline tactic. It's not it's not only applicable to football. I, I personally don't like it. Um, it creates tension, it creates friction, and it doesn't do much to try to resolve the situation amicably. But we are where we are. Um, in terms of Gurhi, he has had an outstanding 18 months or the best part of 18 months playing in the championship. He'll look at uh, Mason Mount, Reese James, uh, Tammy Abraham, Fikayo Tomori, who all made the leap from the championship to Chelsea's first team under Lampard in a transfer ban uh, window. We can, we can say that it was easy for the transfer ban, but how many other managers would have stuck with David Luiz, David Zappacosta, Timo Bakayoko, and Miki Batshuayi instead of those four? It's a very easy thing to stick with the experienced players. Pedro was still with the club at that point as well. You could have persisted with the players who featured under Mauricio Sarri. You, you didn't have to integrate them. Um, it's a hell of a risk. And ordinarily, you wouldn't have a player go from the championship to a uh, top four Premier League team straight off the bat, which is what Chelsea's argument to go here will be. It was, you need another loan um, before you're going to come back in. We've got four senior centre-halves out of contract in the next year. But Gerhi and his representatives, the people talking football, they know that Rüdiger's being offered a new deal. They know Christensen's being offered a new deal. They know Thiago Silva is going to roll on one year until he's clearly not capable anymore. And he'll still stick around at the club um, through leadership. He might move to coaching. So that transition is a lot slower than just parting company with them. As is only 31, he might do the same. Um, so from his perspective, he's not necessarily seeing a clear opportunity in the first team picture right now or next summer. He's seen that Fikayo Tomori has been sold. He's seen that apart from Lampard, um, and he's uh, just under a year and a half in charge or whatever it was, uh, the only returning academy graduate to be given a proper meritocratic opportunity to break into the first team squad was Andreas Christensen. Um, everyone else who has come and gone before and after him hasn't had that fair opportunity. You look at somebody like Nathaniel Chalabar, we're going back to 2013 um, or earlier than that. He was a 17-year-old playing in the championship and he was an outstanding footballer. He was... He he he, he lost the playoff final. Um, he was, to all intents and purposes, the same trajectory as Mason Mount at a younger age because Mason went to Vitesse first. This was Chalabar's first loan. And he was arguably ready to come back into Chelsea um, only he came back and was told, no, nope, you're not ready for the first team, you're going to go back on loan. And he went to Nottingham Forest under a Billy Davies team that didn't play in the midfield. They played a lot of long ball. He lost half a season there. He went to Middlesbrough and then he was uh, Burnley the following season. And it's not, how does that, any of that help a young player who's generated all of this momentum suddenly just hits a wall and gets told you're going to go back and play at the level you were playing at last year, which you've already proven you're way too good for. And so Gerhi sees stories like that and countless other players we've seen over the years and think, nah, I'm not going to take the risk. There's Premier League clubs that want me. I'm ready for more. I'm going to show Chelsea that I'm ready for more. And as we spoke about the last time we, we were together, the, the first pro deal gives um, power to the player because it's limited in length. 
Chelsea have a plus one option on Gerhi's deal so that they don't lose him next summer. They can extend to 2023, but it's a, it's a moot point. They're selling him and any talk of uh, of matching rights or the ability to bring him back in the future is is fairly bogus. It's just one of those things that you can make a bid for any player whenever you want. You can match a bid whenever you want, regardless of having the rights to. You have to convince that player to come back. And we're hearing so much nonsense about players lacking the mentality to make it at Chelsea. It's very easy to cite Mason Mount saying... I've always said I'm going to make it as Chelsea. It's, an, it's a fantastic attitude to have, but at the same time, you can't criticise Gerhi for taking a leap or Tarek Lamptey for taking a leap and leaving Chelsea and taking their career into their own hands as youngsters. Someone like Jaden Sancho received just as much praise for his mentality in leaving Manchester City at the age of 17 or 18 to go to Dortmund to take his career into his own hands. So which is it? Which is the right mentality to have? The one that says, I'm going to persist and break through against the odds or I'm going to take my career into my hands and show everybody that I have what it takes to play as a successful graduate of this academy, whether it's at the club or not. They're both the right mentality. But you can't criticize one and not the other, in in my opinion, anyway. Yeah, so two things, Nick. One is, while my dream, if I'm one of them, is to play for Chelsea, 1A, be a professional player for Chelsea. 1B, be a professional player in the Premier League. <laughs> so 1B might get you to 1A if the path isn't there, but... These guys become full professionals in the Premier League. They're getting the resources they don't get when they're in the championship or, you know, League One, Two. They're now playing on TV every single week. You know, they're getting the benefits and the pay that they might not be getting elsewise. So it's like, of course, they're going to want to take that opportunity. Yeah, it's it's a little different, Phil, in America, because I, I think we have this, like, bet on yourself mentality over here and and it's seen as like a badge of honor you know to to take the risk and to say you know what i'm i'm gonna just do it and i'm gonna figure it out and even if it may seem like a foolish move to some in the short term i know what i'm worth and and it's it's more than what i've been offered the opportunity for and I, and I don't know if it's the same in the UK. I clearly don't live there and that's you know as much as i try and understand the culture i'm not a part of it and so uh, I think it just feels a lot like betting on yourself for a lot of these players who are who are on their way out to say, like, look, I've seen players wait around for Chelsea to come around to me and or to come around to other players, and it didn't work, didn't happen for, you know, this, that, or the other reason. Uh, I need to go play. I'm 19, 20, 21 years old, and if I don't play now, my career is going to not go the way that I have envisioned it. Like, do you, do you see it as betting on yourself? And is that the mentality that a lot of people are criticizing? Yeah, it's it's, it's certainly not the same uh, in my experience in the UK uh, with people betting on themselves, although it is changing. Just look at the number of players over the years who are criticized for disloyalty at the first moment of talking about leaving. He wasn't even an academy graduate and Thibaut Courtois left in oh, maybe controversial circumstances to some. But to, to be dubbed a reptile, snakes out, all of that nonsense for betting on himself and wanting to further his professional career doesn't sit right with me. And fun, maybe when I was younger, maybe I, I criticised players for doing similar. I think William Gallas going to Arsenal certainly wound me up. And as uh, older and hopefully more mature, I could appreciate why he did that. And it worked out well for Chelsea. Um, in terms of academy graduates, I think the, the influence is there. They know that... 
if you come through Chelsea or they come through Manchester City um, or they come through any big club, it's one of the best finishing schools you can have in the world. And then you, you've given yourself a platform to go off to another club and to make the very best of your career. And football isn't a long career at all, especially for an academy graduate. You've still got to go and prove yourself at the highest level. And I think some of the, the structure of especially football in the UK lends itself to the loyalty argument. Obviously, stateside, you've got high school, college, pro, and you're there for defined periods of time. But you're, you're already seeing collegiate athletes betting on themselves entering the transfer portal or, or you've got the NIL stuff coming up now and people are young athletes are finally able to, to take control of their professional careers at an age where they deserve to. But because of the structure of that and being able to position yourself to take the best opportunity at the next step, it's, it's certainly sportingly, it seems to me, that you're in a position to, to bet on yourself every time. Whereas if you're somebody in academy football in the UK, you typically enter the system at the age of six, seven or eight. And more than 50% of players who enter an academy at that age group are still there when they're 16. So they've, they've spent their childhoods almost with a second family or in a second school or whatever it is. So it's, it's hard for the majority of those to leave until the culture starts to change in, in a society now where US sports are as popular in the UK as they've ever been. And these young players are seeing individual athletes making their own best choices. And, right. and, and that, that sort of pervades all the way down to, to the players. And it's happened in, in the academy of the year. We've lost um, under-16s who've gone to other clubs, Samuel and Junior the year before last, Jamal Musiala in 2019. And it's going to happen. It's going to happen to every club other than Chelsea. But for so many players to be considering leaving in one summer at Chelsea talks to a bigger problem that exists now and that exists in a bubble between Lampard leaving and Tuchel arriving. And that is with no criticism aimed at Tuchel. It's the situation that if Lampard and his cohorts are in charge of the club, there is a very clear pathway for obvious reasons. If the pathway is now muddied, these players are going to bet on themselves rather than being the ones to break a system that has been almost impossible to break. Well, and, and that was going to be my question, right? I mean, we've talked about Gurhi, we've talked about Liebermento, Pert Harris, Bate, throughout our, our run uh, of, of getting you on the show, all having different attributes, but all projecting really well, right? I mean, these are all players yeah. that I think you've been high on. Yeah, they've all got Gurhi Premier League interest. Yeah, Gurhi's yeah. an outstanding player. He's an England under-21 staple. He'll make an England debut in the next six to 12 months, uh, centre-half, uh, if you've got... Uh, the light, and with no disrespect to Ben White, Ben White getting in the Euro squad, Tamori being on the fringes of the squad. If he has a strong start to the Premier League season, he'll get call ups before Christmas because Southgate so, and England have their guys. That's why Jude Bellingham went to the Euros at 17. Jude is an outstanding player, but you ordinarily wouldn't take a 17 year old to a major tournament. He would, he and several others who've been called up uh, ahead of like James Madison, for example, who's an, a very, very good Premier League midfielder but Madison hasn't been one of the FA's guys they, they've got the England DNA they've got players that they've projected to be senior internationals from the age of 14 or 15 and Gurhi's one of those he's been through every age group so as soon as he proves himself uh, capable of playing in the Premier League Southgate will call him up so I guess my question is given the amount of talent given the fact that these are all projected to be Premier League players now whether they go and achieve the heights we don't know yet I mean it's TBD right but 
is it alarming? Like, I mean, it, it, of course it's alarming, but is it more alarming that it's the amount or is it just the byproduct of these players talking to each other and going, do you see, do you see a path for you? Do, no. Do you, what about you? No. But like, how, how do you, how do you overcome that? I guess as, as a club, even if you do have a strategy or plan in place that, I mean, all these guys are maybe not friends, but they all talk to each other. Of course they all talk to each other and, and they know the realities of the situation that they find themselves in. But because they've seen what's happened to those that have come before them, they're not prepared to, to take a chance. Now, Gerhi and Simeu played together at centre-half for uh, the last couple of seasons, particularly under-19 Champions League, because they're slightly different age groups, but they've played together. So if Gerhi doesn't see uh, an immediate pathway that's worth persisting with at Stamford Bridge, then Simeu certainly, well, Simeu hasn't been out on loan yet. Um, but if he's got offers from a Premier League club, as he does, and it seems like him and Pert Harris may be joining the same club this week, then they're going to they're see the opportunity somewhere else. It might be a step back now, but if it takes them two steps forward, then it's a win for them. And it's brave because these are teenagers or players in their early 20s who are saying, no, I could stay at Chelsea and I could sit on a nice contract and bide my time and see what happens and hope that... Tuchel is amenable to keeping the pathway open or hope that Chelsea do what they always do and change managers inside two seasons and lurch back towards an academy pathway because reasons. But it's it's increasingly hard to, to justify doing that if you take the Lampard experiment in a bubble and look outside of it because the, the, the proof is the actions speak loudest and the players and the agents and their families are looking at these situations and they're saying, well... I don't see that very much has changed. It seems to have gone back to normal. And for the for some Chelsea fans, that's fine. Chelsea have won the Champions League. They've got a very, very high quality squad and they're looking to make additions to, to try and win the Premier League title. And, and that's fine for some. It's not particularly what I'm looking for as a supporter, but each their own. But for these players, they don't have to take their risk. Many of them aren't Chelsea fans. Right. And I guess... You made mention of this, so I think it's just worth saying out loud, right, that Simeu and, and Pert Harris might be going to Brentford, right? That's the... Is that that the, seems the to be what's thought? going around. It doesn't necessarily... It's not necessarily uh, finalized, but that's, that's the talk that's going around, yes. And Gurhi's obviously moving to Palace. Has there been any, like, loose rumor around Livermento or what might happen there? Uh, there's a lot of talk about Livermento. Uh, Nazar is linked with Leipzig and Milan and Aston Villa. And if you look at that caliber of club being interested in him, you can be sure that there's the, the, just as much interest from similar level clubs or a step below. He'll have plenty of options. There's talk that Lewis Bate has interest from Premier League clubs as well. And that doesn't mean that he's going to go out and play just as many minutes as Billy Gilmore's going to go and play at loan at Norwich this season because he's a step behind in terms of experience and where he's at in his career. But he's a similar sort of player. And again, Lewis might have looked at Billy last season and Billy struggles to get into the team under Tuchel. Justifiably, in some cases, he's the youngest, as Tuchel said. He's He's got Kante, he's got Jorginho and he's got Kovacic ahead of him. Now, we know what Billy can do. And that's why he's gone to the Norwich this season, to, to prove that he can do it over the course of a Premier League season. But when Billy comes back in he's going to face the same challenges that everybody else has faced. He does have the advantage that Lampard gave him a debut and an opportunity to play. 
that very that Christensen didn't have. Christensen had uh, a few matches before going on his two-year loan to Gladbach, and he played at right back for some of those. So it's it's not a comparable situation for me. But every, everyone's coming out and saying, okay, Livermento is looking at what Lamptey did because Reese James is in the team for ten years, and Bates looking at Gilmore, and he'll be there for the next ten years, and they're not going to take the chance. That's not what it's about. Players believe in themselves and they believe in their ability to compete with or against anybody, whether they were teammates or whether they're academy graduates, whoever. They just want a fair chance. And if that fair chance doesn't look like it's going to come their way, they have hundreds of other clubs out there that will happily give them the opportunity to give them to have a professional career. And am I right in thinking that whatever their deal is at Chelsea is most likely far less than what they could make by going to a Premier League team and signing... A contract at that level? Uh, yes and no. Chelsea have pre- historically been one of the more uh, generous clubs in terms of their the wages they offer as a first year pro. Um, even if they've scaled it back, I imagine Chelsea is still generous, than, more generous than most. But if if you're going to a Brentford, or a Brentford certainly don't lack money, and they don't have the expense of a full on academy anymore. They run a, a B team setup for players between the age of 17 and 21, most typically. That they they run their own bespoke schedule throughout a season. Um, pandemic notwithstanding, that would include matches overseas and short stints overseas, um, with the idea of having a, a defined pathway into the first team. That's now much harder for them because they're a Premier League club. But it's an ethos that strays from the norm and is 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 alluring to, to plenty of young players. Um the success of it is is up to everybody to decide. They've had two or three clear graduates and plenty of debutants, but it remains to be seen whether they can do it now they're a Premier League club. Um, but like like we said just just now, you can take one step back both professionally uh, from a footballing perspective and financially to take two forward in the next 12 months because if 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 somebody does leave Chelsea and joins a Leipzig or an Aston Villa or whoever, um, they may not play straight away. They may not get the same contract they're on straight away. But you see what Tarek Lamptey did at Brighton and Lamptey's going to be in for a, a bumper deal when he next signs one and he's an established Premier League player now, injuries hopefully behind him. And it's that sort of thing. You bet on yourself. It didn't work out immediately for him, but it definitely worked out in the medium term. Can I ask a thought exercise question, Phil? Mm-hmm. I'm assuming you enjoyed winning the Champions League, right? Uh, like we all did. Fair. I think a common argument out there would be we've just won the Champions League. How do we, unlike in 2012, pr- make progress, not regress, in the quality of what happens on the pitch? Are these players... People say, why would I want to bring in a Tino Livermento when we're looking at Hikimi? Why would I want to look at Lewis Bate when we could go get Verratti? hypotheticals. I feel like that's the conversation is having right now, but I think that that's kind of missing the mark. I guess what do you, it's like, yeah, the, what you're saying is like, there's this binary discussion out there that you can only have Verratti and that to get Verratti, you have to sacrifice anything else. Right. And, And I don't like, I think you've tried to say this before, but I don't think that is the binary choice that exists, but it's the one, it's the conversation that's being had it's definitely not the choice. Um, you can absolutely justify um, signing an elite world-class player, whether it's Hakimi or Erling Haaland or whoever, at the expense of an academy player. 
because those players are rare for a reason um, and they justify it with their performances. You can absolutely have those players and academy graduates. Those academy graduates would love to play with world-class footballers. They need to be given the opportunity and pathway to share it. We've seen that we did it in a different way. You bring the academy graduates in first and then you bring in the world-class players like Kai Havertz and they work together. Everyone in the academy wants to play alongside world-class players. The problem is Chelsea aren't signing these world-class players. Chelsea, whether they were truly in for Hakimi or not, made a rod for their own backs by doing it, clouding the, the future for a Livramento and then not getting the player. It looks more unlikely than likely that Haaland is going to come this summer, whether he comes next summer, whether he goes somewhere else next summer. What, what, what of Tammy Abraham? Now you're starting to see people talk about Dusan Vlahovic or Danny Ings or, or second or third tier options behind a Haaland. And whether you rate him or not, Tammy Abraham has been the club's top scorer for each of the last two seasons and over that time combined. And he doesn't take penalties and he's playing time severely deteriorated after Tuchel arrived at the club. Now, whatever you think of Abraham, what does that say for everyone else? You've had Mason Mount be the club's most consistent player over the last two seasons. Consistent. That doesn't mean he's been the best. He's been the most consistent and has had the most playing time. These, these players are doing all that they can. And you can you can establish them alongside world-class players. But if you're not getting the world-class players and you risk losing the players that they're replacing, then you have a problem. Yeah, a little bit of poor negotiation, perhaps, <laughs> uh, that, that you just brought up. I mean, it, it's, I don't know, it is interesting, though, right? Because I think it, it's easy for us to find attachment to young players coming through, right? Oh, yeah, particularly with me. It's very easy for me. And I've, I've, made, I've never shied away from the fact that my perspective isn't the wide perspective, and it, nor, it should, nor should it be. But... I've I, I've always, I've always been genuine that I would love to see a, a strong academy presence in the first team squad because I believe that it can win trophies for Chelsea and they won the Champions League with Mount and James and Christensen outstanding in the final. They had Abraham and they had Hudson Odoi and they had Gilmore and they had Andrew contribute during the run. And if that isn't justification for the work that the academy have done winning the biggest trophy that Chelsea can win, then I don't know what is. I feel like Chelsea would see it as a success that they're able to sell their academy graduates into prof professional teams and contracts. Again, not every single one's going to make it at Chelsea. But if they can... like, I feel like the academy coaches are just looking to get their players placed. At the end of the day, that's what they want. Maybe you go to Bruce Buck in Marina's office... They're now looking at the academy saying, well, we want to buy these big-time players. We've got these assets. We could probably cash in on them much easier than trying to sell Jorginho based on what Matt Law tells us too. So the academy oh, has yeah. to fill a couple different roles for the club. Sometimes it gets a little icky feeling. It does a bit. And there's definitely a point to be made that it's easier to sell uh, a Gerhi than it is to sell a Zappacosta or a Bakayoko or... Any of the, or a drink quarter, or any of the supposed deadwood, which is a slightly disrespectful term, but I understand why it's thrown around. 
Um, the problem is, if you sell Gurhi and and whoever else, and you can't shift the fringe options, and your academy players are leaving, then you're replacing Gurhi with the same fringe options who you'll then struggle to get rid of in the years to come. While having burnt the bridges of the academy pathway with so many talented players wanting out, you then have the worst of both worlds. And it seems avoidable. Uh, Correct. Just, just with a little bit more forward planning. Because even if Gurhi is dead set on leaving, I think you can convince any player in the academy to stay and wait for an extra year if there is an absolutely... Un- it doesn't even have to be an unequivocal pathway to minutes. It just means an opportunity to play, to, to, to be given a fair chance at minutes. And, and that's not to say that Tuchel isn't going to provide that. It's just a huge unknown right now because he's been at the club for less than a year. He's had to deal with the pandemic and limited bubbles as to who can come over and train with the first team and who can't. And now we're in pre-season. We're going to see what sort of meaningful opportunity Conor Gallagher gets. We're going to see whether Armando Broja sticks around as a as a depth striker or whether he goes out on loan after signing his new contract. We're going to see what happens to some of these academy options who are at the club who may or may not be in a position to help the first team. But we've seen that Gilmore's already gone on loan and we've seen that Gurhi has decided to go elsewhere. So it's not the most positive start. And then that feeling trickles down into the academy. Well, I'm glad you opened that door. So we've kind of had a bit of a, a tough conversation about the role of the academy, Dan, but Armando Broja is the shining light of this pod in the sense that there's great news uh, as you put it, officially official. That is exactly the way to describe it because when it goes on ChelseaFC.com and you get the photo with the kit and Marina and the player, then you know it's usually a positive sign. And so Armando Broja is now contracted through 2026, extending his deal. Uh, his exact quote was, I'm really excited to be signing a new contract with Chelsea. Having come through the academy here, it was a special moment for me to make my first team debut last year before gaining further experience on loan at Vitesse last season. I want to build on these foundations. I'm really looking forward to progressing and making an impact at Chelsea in the years to come. And so I think that's a very good sign that you're not losing everybody. It's not like, you know, I think we, we joked about this idea of mass exodus. It's not like, you know, a burning building and you see people flooding out into the streets from it. It's just the sense that, like, you know, there, there are people on different cycles. There are people on different belief structures. I would imagine people who in the striker position may feel like there's a better opportunity or pathway due to how that position has shifted over the past couple of seasons and, Look, you know, uh, apparently there was an offside goal that he scored in the Petersburg match that was played behind closed doors, and you could stream it if you are a oligarch, but for all of us uh, who could not get there, um, look, the offside goal happened in isolation. It is not a sign of things to come, <laughs> but I think, uh, Phil, regarding Broja, I know it, it seems like it's a really quick transition for him and how he's been able to go from academy success at uh, appropriate age level to then age up to then go on loan and be successful and now potentially be considered either as a rotation option here this season or another, you know, level up loan with this deal. 
Yeah, it's it's a really nice story, and I think it's it's definitely right to point out that it isn't the we're the last one out of the academy. Please turn off the lights because there is still plenty of talent that's happy to be at the club and believes that there is a pathway, and they may be proven right, and the the players who won out might be proven wrong. This is why we're we're so fascinated by football. We don't know what comes tomorrow. Um, in Armando's case, he was uh, as I as I tweeted out earlier this afternoon. He didn't have the the offer of a pro contract baked into his scholarship. A lot of players, when they're agreeing their scholarships, would be like, "Okay, we've got my pro deal. I want to turn seventeen. These are the terms. Triggers on your seventeenth birthday. Typically offered to everybody or the the majority of the most talented players in your intake." He had to wait until halfway through his second season as a scholar until he died. The first year as a scholar was a learning experience. It didn't quite go as he wanted. He scored two goals. He was playing a little bit out of position quite often as a sub. And then uh, he we've been through this before. He went away on international duty with Albania under 19 level, scored some goals in the summer, came back to Chelsea with form and with a, a bit of a different mentality and just took off from there. Uh, scored a bunch of goals for the 18, signed his pro, scored for the dev squad, went off to Vitesse, became the top scoring teenager in Europe's top 10 leagues last season. And the ascent is fantastic. Um, it's important to, to realise that he isn't anywhere near the finished product right now. And a lot of Vitesse fans will tell you that for all of his goals, the all-round game still needs a lot more coming along and they wouldn't be averse to having him back for a second year to help him continue to refine it. I think the loan is definitely the preferred option. And that's important when he says looking forward to making an impact to Chelsea in the years to come. Uh, I don't think anyone's kidding themselves that he's being relied on to make an impact this season. However, if Chelsea don't get Haaland and they don't see a market there to sign a forward, then they have Havertz, they have Abraham, they have Batshuayi and they've got Brogia. You you could say, you could argue Ike Ogbo is more deserving, but it looks like Ogbo's going to seal a move in the next week or two. Uh, He's off to the next stage of his career, wherever that may be. Um, so Broja being the, the inform young striker ahead of Jutsun Sabel, for example, might be considered to be kept around as a rotation option. The important thing is if you keep him as a third choice striker, you do need to give him cut minutes, substitute minutes, and as many opportunities to keep making progress because otherwise you end up stagnating. This is why Chelsea have an expansive loans program for their uh, teenagers and players in their early 20s. You don't want them sitting around not playing. Um so you'd you'd like to see him go on loan and there'll be plenty of a market for him. It's not ideal that if you're waiting around for a striker that you leave it late in the window. What tends to happen with some of these things, if you leave it later and later into the window, they know that Vitesse is always there. They've done it before. They did it with Musonda at the end. They've done it with Matt Miazga late in the window. They've done it with a few other players. It's okay. We haven't got anywhere to send you, but we've always had Vitesse in the back pocket. And in his case, it's helpful that he's been there for a year and could probably just reintegrate but you you ideally have most of these players futures sorted before the season starts uh noticed in his uh customary photo with marina that uh the the boy has grown phil he he is is a a full six three now (laughs) he's a full six three he plays with the the aggression and the mentality that you want a player of that size to play with and he's I'm, I'm loath to say it got surprising athleticism because it's coded language in in many ways. But he is quicker than he looks. He scored a goal for Albania's under 21s uh, last month, where he looked like he'd been shot out of a cannon when he was sprinting onto the through ball. And that might not be the case every time he moves. But if you can have a six three or six four aggressive forward who can move like that, then you've got plenty to work with. Yeah. Well, I'm not going to make that comparison. Um, but I'm excited for Armando Broja to add um, 
I guess, a sense of solidity that there are still young players who believe in the system, are believe in Chelsea, that they're going to do what's best for them to get them to where they want to be, ideally at Chelsea. But it was really just an opportunity for us, Phil, to get a temp check from you on kind of how you see things playing out, how the players maybe feel, if you have any idea of the sentiment around them. And, and I think we've checked that box. Yeah, it's, for, for a lot of it, it's still wait and see. There's, there's going to be so, a lot of unknown still to come, especially in the first half of this season. Um, there are protocols being relaxed in terms of close contacts at Premier League clubs, but an explosion of Delta-related COVID cases and players may be forced to isolate at short notice and you may have to turn to your academy prematurely or unexpectedly in the first half of the season who knows there's so much still that we don't know about the way that the pandemic is affecting football um both positively and negatively because players will have seen what's happened over the last year and a half and they don't want to take the risk of hanging around and having something else affect their careers in addition to a pandemic they, there'll be plenty who didn't get the opportunity to train with the first team last season that they ordinarily would have had because of limitations on bubbles. And when you, you when you have those opportunities taken away from you, and they're in a very privileged position compared to a lot of other people in society, let's not forget that, but they are still individuals with a career and hopes and dreams and aspirations. There's a lot of downtime and a lot of thinking time for them to consider, is it worth it to wait? And increasingly in football, you don't want to wait. So we may see five, six, seven players, whatever, considering their futures elsewhere. But you, you can quite easily argue that somebody like Armando Brogia committing to a five-year contract and Levi Colwell committing to a four-year extension a few weeks ago before going on a loan to Huddersfield means that the sky isn't falling, that there are players who do have potential and the belief that they can make it at Chelsea and maybe we should focus a little bit more on them. I think over the last week, it's been hard to avoid being sucked into the the negative spiral because it seemed bad news upon bad news upon bad news about very, very talented players who are all looking to leave at the same time. Um, and I'm guilty of that as anybody else, but there are still quality players coming through. The Academy welcomed 10 new scholars the start of July England youth internationals are plenty in there. Another generation is starting to come through. There is still plenty of talent in this academy. Well, I think we got our title. Chelsea Youth Update, the sky isn't falling. <laughs> that There it is. We, we found it in the closing moments of this podcast. We found light at the end of the tunnel, the happiness that can be found still at Cobham amongst the youth academy because the pathway is still there, just not always for everybody, but that's okay. That's the reality of the situation. Well, and to Phil's point, we're definitely going to get you back before the season kicks off, or I guess the transfer window ends, just to, you know, see what else shook out or what else stuck and we can see. So are you okay if we give you a call, Phil? Whenever you want. Oh, man, he's so nice and generous. Hey, go follow Chelsea Youth if you're not. Obviously you are, let's be honest at this point. Uh, but if not, go ahead and send him a tweet or a, a message thanking him for... Jumping on and just talking through everything. I think a lot happened in a short amount of time. It's great to have Phil on to unpack it all. Um, but that's going to wrap us up. More content later this week. Chelsea fans, until next time, you know what to do. Keep the blue flag flying high. <laughs>